0: What's up guys and welcome back to another episode of Bleeding b So guys, we have a lot to cover in this episode. Um, first, we're going to go over the recent signings that the Washington football team had. And that was the signings of wide receiver Adam Humphreys and cornerback Darryl, Um Roberts. So the Washington football team was pretty quiet in week two, but they capped off the week with their signings. Um, And I'm a fan of both of these signings, um, especially the Adam Humphrey signing, because that allows us to have a legit slot receiver. I know last season, um, Curtis Samuel start, um, started playing in the slot a lot more under Joe Brady, but in um, Ron Rivera's system that he had previously played in, he wasn't playing in the slot as much. He was primarily an outside receiver, um, and I think that's going to be um, his position a lot when he's playing in this new Scott Turner's offense as well. Um, that's because I think that Curtis Curtis Samuel has the opportunity to challenge the field vertically and challenge defenses vertically, so I think um, that he's going to be on the boundary uh, more often. Than a lot of the fans in the community think. and then also um, the signing of Daryl Roberts. Um, I love the Daryl Roberts signing as well. He's not a great player, but we just if we just think of this as a depth signing, which it is. He shouldn't be any more than the CB4, or CB5, um, and that's a cornerback four, or cornerback five. For people that don't know depth chart talk. But he's going to be essentially um, Fabian Moreau's replacement and he's somebody that has played all over the field. Um, Last season he played I think he was like 43% in the slot and then about 36% on the boundary and he also played some free um, safety and he also played in the box as well. Um, So like I said guys I'm a fan of both of these signings, Um, both of these signings that you need if you want to be a good team when you're strengthening your depth and I actually think that Adam Humphreys has uh, the potential to start as well. I think that he's better than Stephen Sims. I know a lot of you guys that have tuned into the Bleeding B&G podcast before have heard of my sentiments on Stephen Sims, um, especially after this down sophomore slump year that he had. I don't think that he's going to make the roster this year, especially when you're adding dynamic athletes like Curtis Samuel, uh, who can play the slot, and then somebody like Adam Humphreys, who is, you know, assigned to play the slot. He's a slot receiver. Now, I know he had a couple down years in Tennessee, but, guys, he was playing last season. He missed the majority of the year with a concussion. And he also missed um, some games in 2019 with an ankle injury. But the last time that he was paired with Fitz Magic, RQB one, Ryan Fitzpatrick, in 2018, he went off. He had his best year, um, his best year of his career, um, totaling over 700 receiving yards. And I think that he can regain some of that magic with the Washington football team as well, because him and Fitz uh, Patrick, so the type of chemistry um, that you know. He was one of the primary guys, you know, in a receiving corps that featured Deshaun Jackson at the time and then Mike Evans. Fitzpatrick was looking for Adam Humphreys a lot of the times on third down, and he would come through. If you guys can remember the game that we played um, Tampa Bay in 2018 um, Fitzpatrick threw for over 500 yards and a lot of those yards came to Adam Humphreys. A lot of them. I don't have the exact number in my head right now but a lot of them came to Adam Humphreys and I remember they were at crucial points in the game as that game was getting tight towards um, the fourth quarter as well. Um, So like I said I'm a huge fan of both of these signings. They're depth signings. Like I said I think Adam Humphreys has the potential to start but we got better. We got better. I think that so far in the NFL, even though he is a tad bit older, Daryl Roberts has proven to be a somewhat of a better player than Fabian Moreau. Um, I know a lot of people have been talking about we've been playing Fabian Moreau. Fabian Moreau outside of the position outside of his position like you know starting him at the slot but he wasn't good on the boundary either and I was one of Fabian Moreau's biggest advocates when we drafted him but you know he signed that deal with Atlanta it's sad to see him go but I didn't see I didn't see much of a future here with this organization so like I said I love these signings of Adam Humphreys and Daryl Sinem so It's time to get into the nitty gritty of this episode What this bleeding BNG episode 10 is mainly about Um, And I want to give you guys some you know, um some background info before um, I get into you know our content of what we're going to go over today. But I actually had the opportunity to do a collab podcast with the Tay and Todd podcast last week, where we actually talked about the free agent moves from week one, and we actually did some draft outlook at some of the guys that we um, like um, within the first five picks for the Washington football team. And that's actually what I'm going to share with you guys as well. Um, so this is kind of different than what we did on the podcast. I love that podcast. Please go. Um, please. Go check that out Uh, in the Tate and Todd Washington football team podcast. They're available on all podcast platforms. I enjoyed my time recording with those guys a lot. I really did. Um, But like I said, we talked about NFL free agency after week one and we did an NFL draft outlook. So that's what a lot of this episode is going to consist of. I'm going to give you guys positional breakdowns for every position on the offensive end and players that I think that we can potentially get within our first five picks. Within our first five picks. So our first five picks are picks 19, picks 51, picks 74, picks 82, and pick 124. So we have a lot of value with having five picks in the first 124 picks. Um, so the reason that I'm only going to do the first five picks is, as you guys know, um, in the Washington football team community and in the NFL community as well. As you get later towards in the draft, that's when it becomes more of a crapshoot. But these are some of the players that are on my radar within the first five picks. I'm going to be giving you a positional breakdown while also be talking about the scenario where I think that these positional players might be available as well. So this um, for um, this episode, we're just going to be doing strictly the offensive side of the ball. And then in our next episode, Bleeding B&G episode 11, we're going to be looking at the defensive side of the ball. And I'm going to be giving you my potential prospects for the Washington football team from the defensive side of the ball in that episode as well. So without further ado, let's get started. So we're always going to we're always we're always going to start at the quarterback position, the most uh, the most important position on the football team. And in the first round, in the first round, um, honestly, at this point, we would have to trade up. And the only reason only way I see us trading up is if somebody like Trey Lance is on the board at seven. And I honestly don't think that's gonna happen. So to give you guys a time step on this episode, today is Monday, March 29th. and it is about ten o'clock PM. So um, this is this um this is following, you know, the trade, the blockbuster trade that the San Francisco 49ers made to move up to number three in the draft. So after that trade, it was already murmurs and rumors going around that the Top four quarterbacks were going to go within the first four picks. But after that trade, I think it's just solidified that there aren't going to be any quarterbacks um, of interest to take in the first round after maybe about pick, pick six or seven to be honest and like I said I don't think the Washington football team is in a position to trade up unless they get it to around a seventh pick where you know Carolina who was banking on Deshaun Watson at one point and then you know came to a point where they're banking on you know a draft pick like Trey Lance or Justin Fields because I don't even think they would trade with you at this point. Um, cuz a lot of rumors are coming out that the San Francisco 49ers actually had moved up to draft Mac Jones at 3 and that would that would shock a lot of people cuz throughout this time throughout the draft process a lot of talk was that Mac um, was the QB5 out of the group of Lawrence Wilson um Fields and Lance but hey he has shot up the draft boys, especially you know once you know scouts and teams got a chance to watch the film Mac had one of the best fo- um, the best uh, college football seasons a college football quarterback has ever had you cannot deny that so I, I guess a lot of the scouts went over and watched a lot of that tape and saw that hey maybe he isn't a product of this alabama system maybe he isn't a product of playing with all these great players and you know he's risen up draft boards and then he also balled out in his um, pro day as well and put up some um really good athletic numbers i think he ran somewhere in a 4-7 he had a 32 inch virtual i saw he got hyped about so you know he proved to be a better athlete than a lot of us thought than i thought as well um that's a Reason why I always had Mac as my quarterback five because um, as I stated my position on this podcast before, I think to went in today's NFL you need a quarterback that can make off platform throws and I don't know if Mac is that guy, but his athletic numbers has has proven that or hasn't proven, but they have backed up the, that he has the potential to become that guy. You know, somebody being as big and as you know as big as Mac Jones, um, um, he seemed to be a statue in the pocket behind that great um, Alabama offensive line and. But if you're running a 4-7, hey, maybe you got the potential to get out of that pocket and make the play, you know, keep the play alive for that extra extra second um, that's needed in the NFL to succeed. So I don't really think that we're going to be in a position to um, trade up to draft anybody at 19. So if we're looking to draft a quarterback within the second or third round, so that would be either pick 51 or 74. Um, I think that there are about three quarterbacks that are on our radar within those two picks. So between 51, which is our second uh, second round pick, and then 74, which is our, um, our first third round pick. And those three quarterbacks are Kyle Trask kellen mond and davis mills caltras is a quarterback out of florida kellen mond is a quarterback out of texas a&m and davis mills is a quarterback out of stafford a lot of you guys in the washington football team community has have heard about um both you know caltras and kellen mond those guys are both pretty polarizing prospects um but you know um a lot of nfl draft um and a lot of people in the NFL draft community have cooled off on Kyle Trask after the hell of the year that he put on because he had a horrible bowl game. And I was one of those people as well. I know you're not supposed to let one game affect your evaluation, but he did not look good in that game um, at all. And I know he was missing a lot of his options, but as I was mentioning on the Tay and podcast, you don't know on Sunday who's going to be there. So what if you're down to your last options? On the NFL roster to play on Sunday, are you going to look the worst possible? Or are you going to elevate your guys? Or are you going to uplift your guys? But I do like Trask. Um, the only thing with me, and the biggest thing with me, I don't think he's one of those quarterbacks that can make those off-platform throws. He's he's kind of like Mac Jones where, you know, he stood in the pocket a lot, and I think he has even worse footwork than Matt Jones. He is like he, he labors around in the pocket. Um, but he does have a decent arm. Um, he has decent accuracy, and he's, he's running a pro style. Type offense in Florida, um, so you know grabbing him with a developmental pick um, or being a developmental quarterback at either you know at seventy four that would be terrific value. Now maybe not fifty one that would be a, a tad bit of a reach for me, but maybe at seventy four that would be terrific value. And then somebody you're looking at somebody like Kellen Mond, who has seemed to be at Texas A and M forever, forever, forever. Um, but I like Kellen Mon a little bit. Um, I don't. I'm not. The biggest fan of Calumon. Um but I do think that he's um, the athlete that the Turners and Ron Rivera are looking for to run his offense. Kalimann um, has improved a lot over his senior year. He was kind of erratic as a passer before this year, um, but kind of that errat, that errat, those erratic instances um, kind of minimized itself um, throughout this year. And he actually had had a pretty good week at, at the Senior Bowl week as well. But like I said, if you kind of look at Kalimann from far away, he's kind of like a slim. Uh, a thinner Kaepernick uh, and he has an awkward throwing motion Uh, I think it's more precise than Kaepernick, you know, Kaepernick had that long wind-up motion, Um, but you know, he does struggle with accuracy at times, although that did improve in the 2020 season, Um, but like I said, these we got to keep in mind, anybody that's going to be drafted outside of the second round, they're going to be looked at to be a de- de- developmental pick. So all of these quarterbacks are going to have flaws. Um, so like I said, I'm not the biggest Calemon fan, but I do see an avenue where he can potentially be available at the 74th pick for the Washington football team. And I do see, you know, somebody like Scott Turner, who loves running RPOs, who loves running play action out of the shotgun. Um, I do see a scenario where he may, you know, he may shop around in the Kellerman market. And then the other quarterback that I had mentioned is Davis Mills, a quarterback out of um, Stanford. And Davis Mills is probably the most unheralded quarterback out of the three that I mentioned. But I honestly think that he, he'll he probably wind up in the, having the best NFL career. Um, I think that um, the only knock that I really have on Mills is that he's inexperienced. He's he's coming off one year of become, being a full-time starter, and we just left that situation with the DeWin Wayne Haskins so that kind of scares me off but I honestly think that if Davis Mills stayed in school for the next season that he had the potential to be the number one pick in the 2022 NFL draft and when you have guys like that who are projecting to, you know, exceed expectations and have pretty high ceilings, I don't think that you can pass up on that. So Davis Mills is actually somebody that I may entertain, you know, trading back from 51 to maybe 54, 55, trading back a couple spots. Um, but he has value in the second round, and I've actually heard him actually um, creeping up um, a lot of draft boards and NFL circles as well. Um, but Mills is a, a solid athlete. Um, as I watched this film, he reminded me of something—somebody uh, who stood in the pocket tall, like a. Don't get me wrong. I'm just talking about how he looked, not really his play style or not his skill. But he stood tall in the pocket, kind of like a Peyton Manning or like a Phillip Rivers. Um, and his athletic numbers actually kind of shocked me. Um, in his pro day, with he was within the elements, he ran a four-five-eight, and he was ripping the ball. Through the rain, like it was crazy. Um, he had an amazing pro day, and that's actually um, one of the reasons that he actually shot up the draft boards. Uh, because, like I said, it was in the elements, and he—it he, wasn't really a drop off. He didn't miss a beat. And that was really impressive. Um, So then, um, that's it for our quarterbacks as far as our realistic options. So moving on to the running back, um, a running back that I would um, I would consider at maybe seventy four or eighty two is Trey Sermon. He's the running back out of um, the Ohio State University, Um, and Sermon is six feet, two hundred and twenty one pounds. And the reason that I would advocate for Sermon at these positions is that he's 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 versatile. Like he has a lot of versatility. No, I haven't really seen him catch a lot of passes off the backfield, but he's somebody that brings a lot of power with him. He brings a lot of power with him. He was splitting um, touches with Master Teague at Ohio State a lot this um, season, but when the playoff time came, everybody, you, like you saw, who it was Trey Sermon time. I think he had consecutive games with over 200 yards before getting hurt early in the championship game, and Ohio State severely uh, missed him. Um, they severely missed him when he um, was taken out of that championship game so trey sermon is somebody that will entertain and maybe 82 maybe 75 74 is a bit too high for him because like i said i haven't necessarily seen him catch passes out the backfield but he is an electric runner he has kind of a upright running style but we have to remember guys every all the backs all the backs behind Antonio Gibson on the depth chart are on one-year deals, so you don't be surprised if the Washington Football Team does take a flyer on a running back um, within this draft. Um, so that's for Trey. That's it for Trey Sermons, the um, running back out of Ohio State. Um, the next running back that I want to mention is Demetric Felton. Um, he and he's actually a jack of all trades type weapon type. He's 5'9", 190 pounds, and I think that you can get him in between the eighty-second pick. Or, you know, he may go a little earlier than the 124th pick, but you can get him around that range. And like I said, he's somebody that he's a type of he's the type player that Scott Turner is in love with. You know, um, the stories came out of how much, you know, Scott Turner was infatuated with Antonio Gibson in the, in the pre-draft um, season last year and that's because the versatility that Antonio Gibson played with you know he played primarily wide receiver at the University of Memphis but Scott Turner saw a vision for him to be a full-time running back in the NFL and that's kind of like the backward scenario oh no that's kind of like the like scenario for Demetri Felton as well he's um smaller than Antonio Gibson a lot smaller uh about three inches smaller and about 50 pounds lighter about 40 pounds lighter um but he's somebody that's he, he he's electric with the ball in his hands um he runs amazing routes for a wide receiver or for a running back, so he can he'll be somebody that you know lined up in the backfield, matched up you know when he motioned out, matched up against a linebacker or a safety who's not used to really covering. He's somebody that can exploit those mismatches, and like I said, he's a he's he's dynamic with the ball in his hands, and I I, I really think like that's a name that I really want you guys to be on the lookout for, um, because his skill set isn't too redundant with Antonio Gibson. And like I said, is he a potential, you know, JD McKissick replacement? You know, JD is in entering his last year of his contract for the Washington Football Team, and they have pretty similar um, statures, and they also have pretty similar stories. You know, coming out of Arkansas State, um, JD was a receiver and that moved to running back, and he, you know, JD had a lot of um, good games in this Scott Turner system last year, and you know, I think that Dimitri Felton is kind of like JD, but even a tad bit more electric, um, and can potentially run a tad bit, you know, run routes a tad bit better. And, you know, JD McKissick was what, I think he was the second leading pass catcher at the running back position last year. So ex- imagine an improvement at a position from a younger player. I think that Felton can provide that kind of upside. And then, um, two more backs that I will consider in between, you know, that 82 to 124 range is Kenneth gain, Kenneth Gainwell. um, he's a running back out of Memphis. Um, and then Chuba Hubbard, uh, um, the running back from Oklahoma State so Chuba Hubbard is actually six feet 208 pounds and he actually led the nation in rushing in 2019 he did have a bit of a drop-off in production this past season um, but um, it's not anything that I'm too worried about because he didn't have as many touches as he did in the 2019 season as well and then we also have to remember like it was still a COVID season guys so this season was still like an anomaly and it's still gonna be different from any season that was before it and any season that was after it and if you guys um, are in the college football Chuba Hubbard is the one that actually challenged Mike Gundy to apologize for his statements um, or for wearing that actual actual um, right-wing affiliated um, network t-shirt uh, that was Chuba Hubbard that actually challenged him and said so he, he wouldn't play um, if he didn't apologize for um, you know his actions wearing that t-shirt um, and I like Chuba Hubbard um, like I said he led the uh, nation in Russia in 2019 so he's somebody that has proven to carry uh, um, that, that has proven to be able to carry a large workload, even though he has uh, somewhat of a slight frame at six feet, 208 pounds. But he, he averaged over 26 touches uh, a game in the 2019 season. So um, I know he's going to be dealing with a lot of bigger bodies in the NFL. But if he's he'll running back, too, you know, potentially pairing him with Antonio Gibson, you know, somebody who's not. As natural of a runner yet, because he is making that transition from the wide receiver position, if you can put him with a natural runner like Chuba Hubbard, you can form a potentially you know, lethal duo coming out of the backfield. So those are the names for the running back position that I think are actually um, feasible, that I think can potentially become Washington football team members. Um, and that was Trey Sermon, running back from Ohio State University, Dimitri Felton, running back, wide receiver, kick returner, weapon, From UCLA, Um, remember remember that name. Like I said, I think he can be a potential J D McKissick replacement. Um, Kenneth Gainwell, um, running back from the University of Memphis, and uh, Chuba Hubbard, um, running back from the University of uh, from Oklahoma State University. Excuse me. All right, moving on to the wide receiver position. So guys, I need you guys to bear with me. There are so many talented receivers in this draft, just like the. 2019 draft just like the 2018 draft i honestly think with the evolution of seven on seven throughout the country that it's easy i wouldn't say that it's easy i don't want to disrespect any uh, players that's coming out now but you know a lot of these players are are actually getting receiving training throughout the year are actually working on their releases working on their route running 12 months out of the year and you didn't have that even what five to seven years ago, where you know what the, the biggest seven on seven tournament then was the opening, and that was what once once a week um, I mean, once a year at the Nike headquarters. But you know, you get seven or seven tournaments every weekend now, and I think that you actually are seeing the benefits of that with all of these talented receivers and pass catchers coming out of college and high school. Um, so, there's a lot, a lot of receivers that we're going to cover, and I want to try to do it as prompt as possible all right so at 19 at 19 so listen up listen up this is the only scenario where i would take a receiver at 19 especially after um signing curtis samuel and signing adam humphrey if jamar chase Jalen waddle or Devonte smith fall to 19 you take them no if ands, or buts about it. I don't want to hear about no linebacker. I don't want to hear about no left tackle. If Jamar Chase, Jaylen Waddle, or Devontae Smith are there at 19, you take them. You know why? Because you didn't expect them to be there at 19. And this league is about playmakers. This league is about having guys that are dynamic with the ball in their hands. And all three of those guys are um, are are dynamic, dynamic athletes. And there's potential that all three of these guys can um, fall. We haven't seen Jamar Chase play football in about 16 to 18. 18 months, you know, opting out of the 2020 season. Jalen Waddle's coming off a leg injury, and Devontae Smith just came out last weekend and said he weighs about 170 pounds. So there's a chance. Like, you never know with the draft. A lot of us didn't expect CeeDee Lamb to fall as far as he did, and Dallas ran to the podium to draft him, I think at 17 last year. So there's always a receiver that drops in the draft, and like I said, if either one of those three gentlemen that I just named, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, fall to 19, you better run to the podium. You better tell Roger to run to the podium. I don't care if he pulls a hamstring. I don't want to hear about no linebacker. I don't want to hear about no left tackle because you went with playmakers. I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm all about building up the trenches, but we can get that in the second round. But you went with these type of playmakers in the NFL. This is where you start getting those Kansas City Chief type offenses or those Los Angeles Rams from circa 2018 type offenses where you have receiving threats from all over that are going to back defenses up. And then you can run the ball. And then you can run the ball because you're only dealing with six or seven in the box. So, like I said, if one of those three gentlemen fall to 19, you run to the podium to draft them let's move on to 51 and there's a lot of guys that i actually like at 51 that we can draft in the second round the first name that i'm going to mention is terrence marshall he's a 6'4 200 pounds and he's a speed demon out of lsu um and he's actually probably my favorite um receiver to, to be to, to potentially be there at um fifty one. Either him or Rashad Bateman, who I mentioned in prior episodes. But Terrence Marshall has a bigger body and his skill set, you know, even though he is a speed demon, he isn't uh his skill set isn't redundant with Terry, with Curtis, um, or with Adam Humphreys. He's somebody that is a legit downfield threat. And you know, once he stacks you, or once he gets by you, he's leaving you. And at that 6'4", with those long strides, he's kind of like a gazelle. Now, at times, he does have, you know, concentration issues, and he has had um, some trouble with drops in the past, and he does play a tad bit soft for me, but, you know, pairing him with this offense, with, you know, pairing this 6'4 speed demon with Terry, who's about 5'11", 6 feet, Curtis Samuel's about 5'10", and Adam Sutton who I think is even shorter than that, you have all that speed on the field, and then, and then pairing him with somebody that's 6'4", I would I would love that. I would love Terry. I love Terry's Marshall, um, Marshall's fit for the Washington football team. And like I mentioned before, Rashad Bateman um, has actually um, has actually been rumored to fall down a lot of draft boys. I'm not sure why, uh, but if Rashad Bateman happened to be there at fifty one, that's another guy that I'm going to be running to the podium for. He's an excellent route runner. Um, he 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 he's, has been rumored to run around the four threes. Um, you know he's productive over over a thousand yard season in the 2019, and he came back and had multiple 100 yard games in the 2020 season. So he's a uh, he's he's I w- I would honestly be shocked if Rashad Bateman's there at 51. But hey, I've heard that he's slipping down draft boards, so you never know. Like I said, the draft is a crapshoot. You never know with the draft. Another receiver, another couple of receivers that I think um, that I think that may be potential may potentially be there at fifty one is Amalra St. Brown. Um, he's 5'11", 195 pounds, and he's actually. Um, Equinemius, equi- St. Brown's brother from the Green Bay Packers. Um, and he's an athletic freak, a specimen. Um, he's actually somebody whose measurables actually surprised me because he looks a lot bigger on film than 5'11", 195 pounds. And he actually had his pro day um, last Friday where he ran a 4'5", 140, which is a decent time. And, um, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a St. Brown fan. Um, I do have some questions in his game. Um, he is tough over the middle. He, he kind of reminds me of a Pierre Desir, honestly, like a prime uh, or like an early career, um, you know, Indianapolis coach Pierre Desir, who's somebody that's going to run those dig routes and, and run over the middle. But, you know, my question that I have about um, Amar and St. Brown is he he's kind of stiff in his hips. So how, how good of a route runner is he? Uh, how How is that going to translate to his on-field play? Because um, uh, um, I think his dad, John Brown, is like Mr. The former Olympia um, so you know they're they're muscle-bound athletes him and all his brothers so does that contribute to some of his sti- hip stiffness and how is that hip stiffness going to translate to you know actually running routes in the um, NFL you know that was a lot of uh, a question that a lot of people had about DK Metcalf but he seemed to answer those questions so hopefully you know Omar say Brown can answer some of them similar questions as well but like I said I-, I think he's versatile he's somebody that can play on the outside and play in the slot like Pierre did so 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 he reminds me a lot of Pierre Desir. Um, And then the other two receivers that I actually wanted to mention uh, that can potentially be there at 51 is Elijah Moore. Who is five nine, 5'9 185 pounds he actually had his pro day last week as well where he ran a 435 and he's actually shooting up draft boards so he may not be there at 51 when you know the draft comes um but he's a great route runner he's another athlete who's dynamic with the ball in his hands has tremendous run after the catch ability and that goes along with the other receiver that i want to mention as well so i know in the earlier mocks, that in the mocks that were coming out in January and February, Mel Kuyper and a lot of other people were connecting this name to us at 19. But as we move throughout the draft process, it seemed to be evident that this guy is going to be available way way past 19 and he may be available at 51 and that's Kadarius Toney and the reason that he may be available is just you know the run on offensive tackle and offensive linemen and edge rushers and receivers like we have we have, this is a run we, like this is a d- pretty deep draft this is a pretty deep draft so you know once you get those quarterbacks out the way you're going to start seeing a run on those offensive tackles that are pretty good and then those offensive linemen and everybody are going to want to go draft those until you know before the cup Robert runs a bear so that's you know that's my biggest that's the reason why I think you know the biggest um, downfall for Kadarius Tony but I do think you know he's a, he's another jack rabbit with the ball in his hands I don't think he's as fast as Elijah Moore or some of the names that I'm missing like Terrence Marshall but he's just as quick and his change of direction might be the best of all of them um, and his, his run after the catch might be the best out of all of them so um, the only reason that's that's kind of Making me hesitant about selecting Kadarius Tony is his skill set is kind of redundant with Curtis Samuel's. Um, he has he'll have to you know run a lot of jet sweeps. He'll have to we'll have to find ways to get the ball in his hands, and we're already going to have to do that with Curtis Samuel, and we're going to do that with him more because we're paying him more. You know, one of the rules that I always was taught um, when wondering like why isn't this player getting the ball more than this other player it's, follow the money. You know. Canary's it will be on his rookie contract Curtis and will be making you know 11 million a year So you just got to always follow the money so at 51, those are receivers that I mentioned were Terrence Marshall from LSU, Amara St. Brown from USC, Elijah Moore from Ole Miss, and Kadarius Tony out of Florida. Now let's look at 74 and 82, and I'm going to group these picks together because they're only eight picks away. So, you know, these receivers may be available at both, 74 and 82. And those receivers that I want to mention now are Diami Brown, um, wide receiver from the University of North Carolina, who's somebody I actually like a lot. He's about six feet, one hundred and ninety-five pounds, two hundred pounds, and um, you know he, I, I like him a lot. He's he's he, he's coming from a pro-style offense in North Carolina. Um, he's not a burner necessarily, um, but he does have some long speed, and he is somebody that runs a a, a variety of routes. I've seen him run hitches. Um, he was a slant monster in 2020 um, and I've seen him run the deep route you know I've seen he has a pretty good post route so you know coming out of a pro style offense You know where you wouldn't have to you know get familiar with the route concepts Because a lot of the route concepts that they ran in North Carolina they run in the NFL um, So I like Deami Brown a lot. I like Deami Brown a lot. Another name that I wanted to mention is Tyler Wallace He's 5'11", 195 pounds and he's from Oklahoma State University as well and Tylen Wallace, when I watched this film, he's somebody that plays a lot bigger than his measurements. Um, I constantly saw this dude boxing out receivers, beating them to the catch point. Uh, I mean, beating them to the catch point, you know, uh, coming back to the ball, out out wrestling receivers. He reminds me of like a, a Heinz Ward type, like physical, very physical receiver. Uh, kind of like a, a poor man's Juju Smith's Houston. Um, I saw him catching a lot of jump balls for somebody that was 5'9", 195 pounds. I'm not sure he's the best route runner, um, and I'm not sure he's the most dynamic athlete. But with somebody like heart with heart like that, like I said, he's he's he won almost every jump ball as if he was like 6'3", or 6'4", or something. And it was crazy. And to talk about, and you know, the transition from somebody that's, you know, actually 6'4", um, another receiver that I like in between 74 and 82 is Nico Collins, a wide receiver out of Michigan. He's 6'4", um, about 225 pounds, and he actually ran a four four six forty 6'40", at the uh, Michigan Pro Day. And I like Nico Collins a lot. So, um, if you guys are seeing a trend with me, as far as the receivers that I'm mentioning, the bigger body guys are... Are where I'm leaning towards at this point in the um, draft process because like I said I just don't want anybody with a skill set too redundant with what we already have. Um, the bigger receivers that we do have are on the bottom of the depth chart whether that be you know Cam Sims, AGG or Kelvin Harmon returning from injury so I don't, I don't necessarily want another you know speed short quick guy because I think that you know Curtis Samuel, Adam Humphrey and um, Terry McLaurin provides more than enough of that. You need a guy that's going to catch those jump balls. You need a guy that's going to get downfield and stack the corner and, you know, a 50-50 jump ball, especially with a quarterback like Fitzpatrick, who's known to give his his, his receivers a chance, Who know, who's known to throw the jump ball, who's known to, you know, hey, hey. One on one coverage. Hey, my guy's open. Who's known to do things like that? You need that type of receiver um, to to come down with those balls, or who's fish going to have confidence to even throw the ball to? Because once Fitz becomes hesitant in doing that, a lot of his game is gone. Because that's a, where a lot you know a lot of that you know carefree play is where a lot of fish. Fitzpatrick's foundation comes from. So he needs that type of receiver. And I think Nico Collins has the potential to be that type of receiver. Um, uh, Nico Collins is somebody who's, you know, terrific at the catch point. Uh, he runs a lot of in breaking routes, and he's good at boxing out um, guys. Kind of like a Tylen Wallace, but just doing it at, at like five inches bigger and 30 more pounds. So I'm a fan of De'Ami Brown, Tyler Wallace, and Nico Collins as well at 74 and 82. Um, and then another name that I wanted to mention is Dwayne Eskridge as well. Um, I was really a big Dwayne Eskridge fan, and I still am. Um, the reason that I've cooled off on him some is because, like I said, we signed Curtis Samuel. Um, Eskridge is, um, skill set. He's a burner. He's somebody that's projected to run a low four threes, high four twos, and his skill set is redundant with Samuel's as well. Um, uh, he he's a little bit better of a. Uh, he's a little more dynamic than than um than um. Uh, Kid, Kadarius Tony. he's a little more explosive than Kadarius Tony, but you would have to manufacture touches and find ways to get the ball in his hands as well um, I don't think he's as good of a receiver as Kadarius Tony, but you know like I said I don't want a skill set as redundant um, running in line with you know Curtis Samuel and Terry as well So those are the names for the wide receiver position. I gave you guys a lot of names starting in 19 with Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, and Devontae Smith, and going all the way to 82 with names like De'Ami Brown, Talon Wallace, and Nico Collins. So get familiar with those names before the draft in late April. So now, moving on to the tight end position. Moving on to the tight end position. There's only one first round tight end. Um, I've seen I've seen a lot of my draft experts say that he has NFL Hall of Fame talent and everybody knows I'm talking about Kyle Pitts the 66 freak of nature from the University of Florida um, and he's projected to go within the top you know 6 to 7 picks so we're going we're not going to have a chance to draft Pitts um, so I'm not even going to entertain any first round options at 19 so what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump straight to 51 and um Pat Freiermuth Firemouth um, the tight end out of the Penn State um, is actually a guy I like a lot and you know um, he actually may be gone before 51 but he's about 6'5", he's 260 pounds and you know he's not the most dynamic athlete but he's a pretty good pass catching um, option, um, he's really good at boxing guys out, um, he's really good running up the seam routes, he's not as good with his out breaking routes because like I said he's not a good, uh, he's not the most dynamic athlete but he has reliable hands, um, like I said you're going to need passing options like that when playing with a um, with a quarterback like Fitz, somebody's that's going to give his guys chance. And Friermuth is one of those guys that is going to allow Fitz to make those type of throws because, you know, I'm not going to let this guy intercept it. It's either going to be a catch by me or it's going to be an incompletion. But I'm going to fight my balls off for this ball. And um, I like Pat Move for that. Um, he is, for somebody that's 6'5", 260 pounds, he is kind of inconsistent as a blocker. But remember, we do have Logan Thomas. So if you if you do have, you know, two guys that can block a tad bit and try, you know, give, give the effort when trying, something that Jordan Reed didn't necessarily do, um, you can't get away with it in the NFL. It's not like you're relying on your tight ends to be left tackles and opening up lanes unless it's like a Gronk or somebody like that. All right, so for at 74 and 82, I have uh, a trio of names. It's three guys that I like. Uh, Brevin Jordan is a tight end out of the University of Miami. He's a bigger Joker-type tight end. He runs a lot of drag and crossers. And, guys, um, a lot of people in the Washington football team community aren't going to want to hear me say this, but he actually reminds me a lot of Fred Davis. Um, the 2008 draft pick from the Washington football team as well. Um, Brevin Jordan reminds me a lot of Fred Davis. Um, like I said, he runs a lot of drag and crossers, and he's good with the ball in his hands. It's something that we did a lot with Fred Davis. People forget, Fred Davis had an amazing 2010 year before like everything you know, fell downhill pretty rapidly. Um, but if we can get that type of production from Brevin Jordan for more than just one season, that will be a damn good pick at 74 or a damn good pick at 82. Um, so like I said, he's a bigger type Joker type tight end, but he will stick his nose in the block, kind of like Fred Davis did. Um, He gave the effort, but his technique was horrible. Um, It's kind of like the same things with um, Brevin Jordan as well. The thing that I do like about um, Brevin Jordan, though, is that he is a pretty good route runner for somebody that size, running outside breaking routes and inside breaking routes. And that's something that is beneficial and can help a lot of NFL offenses um, tremendously and get a lot of pressure off the receivers as well. So 6'4", 245, tight end Brevin Jordan out of the University of Miami. Another um, another tight end that I like that's going to be there at 74, that may potentially be there at 74, um, is actually Hunter Long. And I've actually seen Hunter Long rising up draft boards as well. And I actually saw some boards where he was actually ranked um ahead of Pat Fryer move. He was actually the second tight end on the board. I'm not sure um, how realistic that is because I haven't really seen that amongst the consensus or, or amongst the majority. But I do like Hunter Long. He's a good blocker at 6'5", 253 pounds. He's not twitchy. But he's going. To, um, uh, he's not twitchy, but he's going to give effort all the time. He's he's going to give you effort, and like I said, he's going to give you effort running routes. He's going to give you effort blocking. He's a good, solid, all-around tight end. Um He's somebody that can, you you can use as a move tight end to you know catch those wham box or those down blocks um and things like that. Uh, my biggest question about him is is he going to be is he going to be able to create enough separation at the NFL level? But as somebody at six five, you know that's another one of those big targets that you need for a quarterback like Fitzpatrick. And then um, the third tight end that I wanted to mention with these group of the trios is Tommy Trimble. He's 6'4", 250 pounds um, out of the University of Notre Dame, and he's an athlete. He's an athlete. He's somebody – he looks kind of like an H-back. I think he won number 24 um, at Notre Dame, and he had limited production in, in um, college. Um, but if you if you see, I said that his measurements are only 6'4", 250 pounds. So he is, he's, he's smaller than Friar Muth and Hunter Long, but I think that he's the best blocker out of the group bar none. Like, he's somebody that's willing to stick his head in there and move his man, and move his man. Um, he had limited production as a receiver in, um, in college but i think that's because Notre Dame saw how effective of a blocker he was it was like why take him out you know let's 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 provide this extra pass protection for Ian Book but like i said Tommy Trimble is a, a pretty good athlete like when he did have the ball in his hands he's pretty dynamic with it especially for somebody coming from the tight end position the only knocks on the knocks i really have on him is that he had limited production as a pass catcher and he also has short arms and a narrow frame compared to most um, you know nfl tight ends so you know When he has to engage with blockers and disengage from blockers and things like that, is he going to be able to do it due to his shorter arms? But if we move him as like a move tight end um, where he's motioning in and out of the backfield, um, you know, splitting out wide, splitting out in the slot and making those down blocks, then, hey, I think he can be very effective um, and he provides the versatility that Scott Turner loves and is looking for. Alright, so, going down to the tackle position. Going down to the tackle position. Alright, so, at 19, at 19... The, the one option that I think is realistic at 19 because I've heard that there are going to be four um, tackles that go within the top 20. Um, the one option, and you guys have heard this name. I'm sure if you um, have indulged yourself in the Washington football team community, a lot of mock drafts have been making this prediction. And a lot of mock drafts have been connecting this name to us. And that's Christian Derisaw, the left tackle um, out of the Virginia Tech. He's 6'5", 315 pounds, and he's actually a local kid coming from Riverdale Baptist um, in Merlin upper Marlboro Merlin and he's a good athlete um, he's somebody he has good length at about 34 and a half arms and you know he's somebody that you know can be a linchpin for this offensive line for years to come um, you know he came from um, what his biggest knock is that you know the pass blocks um, concepts and the pass blocking sets at Virginia Tech don't really emulate a lot of um, you know, the pro game and the pro concept. Uh, I think PFF only had him having like 76 true, you know, um, pass blocking sets as a left tackle, which is like crazy considering that he um, they played a full game schedule at the Virginia Tech. Um, so that was kind of crazy. Um, but like I said, he's a good athlete. He has great feet those 34 and those 34-and-a-half lynch arms. It makes, makes it very hard for um, defenders to move around him, especially he's like a dancing bear type guy, kind of like Trent Williams. I don't want to put that on him. Cause, you know, Trent was the number four pick, and Trent is a potential Hall of Fame type player. But I um, think he's, he's, uh, he's along the lines of that type of left tackle, you know, athletic, um, nimble on his feet type tackle. And I would love the pick if Christian Durrisaw was there at 19. Um, there's actually rumors that he may not be there at 19. Um, so if we were there, if we were to get him at 19, that actually may be somewhat of a steal or um, pretty good value to um, at the very at least. Um, at 51, I have two names for you at the tackle position. The first one is Dylan Randus. Um He is 6'5", 305 pounds, and he's a mauler. Um, he has somewhat short arms, so uh, a lot of scouts um, have been saying that he may have to transition to guard. Um, and the biggest knocks on him are those short arms and the level of competition. But he actually answered some of those questions about the level of competition standing out in senior bowl practices. Um Throughout the Senior Bowl week. And like I said, I like um, watching Red dudes film, I like him a lot. Um, he's a mauler like like I said he's a mauler I don't know if that's dealing with a lot of inferior competition and a lot of smaller players um, I don't know if that's going to translate in the NFL uh, because like I said he does have you know kind of kind of slender uh, measurements for a, a, if slender is a word that you can use for an NFL laugh tackle um, his measurements at 6'5", 305 pounds you know his frame is kind of thin and he can stand and, you know put on a couple pounds but I was surprised to see you know his play style. like he's a mauler. Um, he has pretty good feet, um, but that's not what he's known for. Um, so I'm not sure if he's going to be able to maul defenders in the NFL when they're just as big as him, if not bigger. And that's my biggest concern uh, for Dylan Randus. He's out of North Dakota State. And then the other tackle that I wanted to mention that can potentially be there at 51 is Samuel Cosme. He's an athletic freak. He is 6'6", 310 pounds, so he kind of has a thin frame as well. But he's an athletic freak. He ran in the four sevens um, in this 40-yard dash at his pro day, and he had 36 reps in the benchmark. Um, And my biggest knock on um, Cosby personally is that I I didn't like his technique when I was watching his film. But the one thing that I did notice is that um, he had pretty good feet. And then those athletic numbers backed it up. You know, somebody 6'6", 310 pounds running a 4'7", is freaky. Like, don't get it wrong. It's freaky. I know I'm talking about a guy that might be drafted in the second or third round, but that's freaky. And then he's putting up 36, 36 reps of 225 pounds in the same day. Like that's insane numbers, and that's the type of prospect that you can work with. That's the type of prospect that you take a flyer on, that you develop, and no better pick than doing it in the second round, where you're getting a value like that. Um, so the biggest, um, like I said, one of the biggest knocks on Cosme is that you know he's he's a big tw- big twelve um, offensive lineman, where you know defense is optional. Um, so how much adversity did he really face from pass rushes and things like that? Um, and that's, you know, that was one of the biggest knocks as well as his technique. But, you know, he's like a big mold of clay that I would love to work with. Like, like those numbers are not an accident. Like, those numbers can, can, can be backed up into pretty good football play. And I think, you know, the Washington football team can take, potentially take a flyer on Samuel Cosme, tackle out of Texas. Alright, so a tackle that I wanted to mention that may be there in the third round with pick 74 and 82 is tackle Spencer Brown. He's actually 6'9", 315 pounds. So you guys see, I'm I'm all about grabbing these giants. He's 6'9", 315 pounds. Uh, 9- 315 pounds from the University of Northern Illinois. He's actually a former basketball player um, and he has a pretty, um, he has a long, long frame. Like you would have to drive a bus to get around him. Uh, he has a long frame. Um, I do question his technique as well because like I said, he did start off at UNI as a basketball player that transitioned over to football but I do, I do like um, I do like some of his movement in the run and the pass game. Um, he's able to get to the second level um, far as you know the competition that he's going against. It seemed like he was able to get to the second level pretty easily to make seal all blocks to open up backside alleys and things like that. The one thing that did scare me is that he did um, struggle unlike um Brad Deuce, he did struggle in at the senior bowl when um you know the level of competition stepped up. Um so that kinda, you know, scared me off a little bit. But somebody that's six nine, three hundred and fifteen pounds and that's you know just scratching the surface, I you know Taking a flyer on him at 74-82 isn't a bad idea as well. And then I didn't really look too much into interior linemen, guys, and that's because I don't think that we're going to be spending too much capital within our first five picks because we have an $18 million man in Brandon Scherf. You know, Sadiq Charles has said they'd be coming back. Um, Wes Stricer is going to be on his second of his three-year deal. Uh, we just signed Tyler Larson from the Carolina Panthers, and then we just gave... Um, Chase Rullier extension as well, so I didn't really entertain the fact uh, to look too much into the interior linemen, two linemen that did spark my interest though was Trey Smith, out of Tennessee, and Wyatt Davis out of Ohio State. So you guys can look at those two guys. Those two guys are maulers in the run game that would actually fit this um, offensive line perfectly as well. Um, So, guys, that was a lot, a lot of information for Bleeding B&G Episode 10. So hopefully you guys feel more prepared as we move towards the draft. Remember, the draft is only about a month away, guys. The draft is at the end of April. So we're about four weeks away from the draft. Three and a half weeks away from the draft um, so hopefully today's episode you, can, you guys can use as a guide um, to help you as you're looking at offensive um, players to help the Washington football team um, for now and in the future as always please 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 subscribe to our YouTube channel please follow us on Instagram and Twitter our Twitter is at bleeding BNG that's at B-L-E-E D-I-N-B-N-G And then our Instagram is at bleeding BNG, but the spelling's a tad bit different. That spelling is at B-L-E-E-D-I-N-G-B-N-G. And like I said, guys, we're available on all podcast platforms at this point. So, feel free to leave a star rating. I would appreciate it if you guys love a star rating. Let me know what I need to work on. Leave feedback in the comments. I love you guys. Um, I really appreciate the comment, um, the feedback that you guys gave me um, from our um, collab episode with the Tay and Todd podcast. Um, a lot of you guys like that episode a lot. And I'm looking to do more with those guys as well. So, like I said, please follow us on um Instagram, please follow us on Twitter. We're available on all podcast platforms. And subscribe to our YouTube. Search Bleeding B&G on YouTube or Bleeding Burgundy and Go. Thank you guys for tuning in to episode 10. I'll see you guys later. Peace.